Welcome back to another episode of Help from the Line podcast, where we get real about mental health in the fire service and public safety. Our goal, to change the status quo, one conversation at a time. Hey guys, thanks for tuning back into another episode. I'm super excited about this one. Uh, this is actually, you know, something that we've needed to kind of talk about for a long time. We've kind of touched on it. It's kind of been spotty. It's been here. It's been there. And now let's just, you know, kind of face it head on. I think that uh, this episode is going to be really a really good one. I'm actually really excited about it. And let's let's kind of jump into this. So, you know, this episode is all about the stigma and what we're doing and, and what we're changing and why we're trying to change it. And why our motto is what it is, why it has changed the status quo. You know, so when I first started this podcast, I had no intention of it going anywhere. I had no thought that it would be as big as it is. I had no idea that as many of you would listen to it as you do. When I started this, I remember the night that I that it kind of popped into my head. I'd been toying with it for a little bit. I didn't really know which direction to go. I had no idea how to start a podcast. And I was sitting on my front porch with my wife. We were talking back and forth. And I said, Carrie, I I think I'm going to start a podcast. You know, and she she knew why. It was because of all the mental health stuff that I had gone through, that I had seen, that I had witnessed, you know, and, and everything with me realizing that we were doing our people, we were doing our fellow firefighters, our fellow brothers and sisters, we were doing them all a disservice by really dropping the ball on mental health and not supporting each other the way that we should be supporting each other. And, you know, this isn't just peer to peer. It's not organization to organization. A lot of it is, you know, no one really knows how to handle these problems until these problems come up. A lot of smaller departments, uh, you know, even now, still to this day, have nothing set in place for when something comes up. You know, even the department that I just stepped away from after everything, you know, and and me even there trying to to fix, you know, and, and help any way that I could... You know, we we fast forward three years later, another incident that's a bit more critical comes up and and, and still nothing happens. And, and that's really frustrating to me. It's really sad. And, and that's why we need to make the push. We need to make the push now, help each other out and really bring light to this topic. So that I mean, that's why we're here. You know, the whole thing on mental health is a national problem. This isn't just an area problem. It's not just a, you know, well, my department problem or a neighboring department's problem or, you know, the the closest full-time department. It's not just their problem. You know, the career guys, it's not their problem. This is all of our problem. You know, so for me, it it's hard to just sit back. And, and that's really why this podcast became what it was. It's hard to sit back knowing that there are problems with mental health and that these guys that are going through it have nowhere to turn or feel like they have nowhere to turn 
And that it's just heartbreaking. You know, let's talk some numbers. And when you actually get into the statistics of mental health in first responders, it's 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 really startling. It's really, uh, uh, you know, how many people have problems? How many people have actually sought help for these problems? And knowing what they've been through, knowing what they do, when you see the numbers, they don't really add up. The numbers are still startling, but they don't add up in the way that we think they should add up or the way that we know they should add up. So as first responders, we see these incidents, these stressful incidents every day. Think back to general population. The general population does not see or deal with what we see and deal with on day in and day out basis. They, you know, maybe they'll see something once or twice in their life, driving past an incident scene on the highway. But they are not in the career setting where this is their norm and this is something that is every day for them. So, you know, let's talk about this this one statistic that I have right here. Uh, this comes from the Katy Fire Department Community Impact Newspaper. It's, you know, that first responders are at a greater risk. And they actually went back through and they looked at the different studies in the U.S. population for PTSD. So the general population... Their percentage of having PTSD in 2015 was 1% to 8%. For first responders, the percentage of first responders to have PTSD is 17 to 22%. So 17 to 22% are going to have a, a mental health problem. So where does that go when we go further down the line to suicide rates? Suicide rates in the general population are 13 to every 100,000. So that's general population, 13 in every 100,000 people. For firefighters, and, and here's where I talk about they're still startling, but we would expect them to be a little bit higher. Suicide rates for firefighters is 18 in every 100,000. I'm telling you guys right now, 18 in every 100,000 people, that's 18 too many. I mean, it. it is. Because, you know, suicide in first responders, a lot of times is completely preventable. So in a survey of more than 1,000 firefighters across the country, 47% thought about suicide at least one time during their career. 47%. It's wild. 47%. Now, here's you know an even deeper question to ask. Out of that 47% of firefighters, out of that 1,000, that was asked how many of those guys reached out for help when they were having these thoughts of suicide. Did they reach out for help? Because that's, that's what we're looking at right now. So there was another survey that was completed on this mental health stigma that we're working so hard to overcome. 
And out of the people that were asked, 39% say that there are negative repercussions for seeking mental health help at work. This was out of a thousand people, 39%, 39% of these men and women said that they were worried about, you know, looking at mental health help while at work because they were worried about the negative repercussions. And this is in the fire service. We as a community of firefighters and first responders, what have we done to show people that if you ask for help in this career, you should be worried about the negative repercussions. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, all of you that are listening, you should not ever be worried about negative repercussions for seeking help for your mental health. And, and that's a real study that has happened. 39%. With that, another 55% say that a supervisor would treat them differently if they bring up mental health concerns. So 55% of these people then think that, or say, it's not really a thing. They know. They know their supervisor. They say that their supervisor would treat them differently if they bring up a mental health concern. Man. <laughs> I... You know, and, and I think that all of you that have been listening know by now that, you know, any of the guys that I worked with when I was a captain, any of the guys that were underneath me fully could have come to me and, and a couple of them did with some mental health problems. And I, you know, I was always there to listen, hear what they had to say, offer. I mean, I couldn't offer much advice, but, you know, offer some support to these guys but then here, so you know where in in the country, and I, it's everywhere. Fifty five percent say that their supervisor would treat them differently. You know, at this at this point, where we are in this world, in life, that should be zero, zero percent say that their supervisor would treat them differently if they bring up mental health concern. We should never. Treat anybody different for bringing up a concern on mental health. So let's let's continue a little bit further. So this one is, you know, a little more EMS related. This came from Mental Health and Stress and Emergency Services. It was a National EMS Management Association article that they put out um, that was about mental health. This came out in 2016. So in the EMS population, in, in the national EMS population, they showed that the percentage of EMS providers who contemplated suicide was 37% compared to the general population of 3.7% for 2015. 37% compared to 37 
Another one was then attempting suicide. Comparison of percentage of EMS providers who attempted suicide compared to the general population. That was 6.6% for the EMS respondents that they had and 0.5% for the general population. You know, so by the end of September in 2014, the U.S. had 58 documented fire EMS suicides. And 39 first responders as police fire and EMS died by suicide in 2015. Three died by suicide in the first week of 2016. These numbers are completely stunning. I mean, you know, when you when you actually spend the time to look at the numbers and, and look at what's going on, they're, they're numbers that you don't want to see. I mean, guys, we talk about line of duty deaths all the time. You know, that's kind of something that we see almost daily. But when we look at line of duty deaths, why aren't we looking at mental health related line of duty deaths? Because to me, these deaths that have to do with mental health are still line of duty because what is causing or has caused the mental health crisis started on the job. And Right now, we're showing that more first responders are dying from suicide than line of duty deaths. More dying by suicide than LODD. In 2015, there was a survey published uh, titled What's Killing Our Medics? This had a lot of contributing authors in it from around the country. I, I, you know, I would say that anybody really needs to g give this a read and, and, and let's, you know, let's, let's look at some stuff from it. Um, you know, so it talks about a group of seven EMS professionals with varying years of experience, titles, and roles across the U S formed reviving responders with the intent to question the prevalence and severity of critical stress and mental wellness amongst EMS field providers. I give a round of applause to all of these guys. This is in 2015. So they define critical stress. Critical distress as defined by this group is the stress we undergo either as a result of a single critical incident that had a significant impact upon you or the accumulation of stress over a period of time. The stress has a strong emotional impact to providers regardless of their years of service. 
This is one of the best definitions of critical stress I have ever seen. They sent out a survey targeting EMS providers uh, with a total of 4,021 participants. And what they showed, what this whole thing shows is an alarmingly high level of stress, suicide contemplation, and suicide attempts among the people that responded. Guys, this the stigma that we're living is real. I I mean, you know, we can sit here and go over stuff all day long. I these numbers aren't dropping. You know, even to to this day these numbers aren't going down. That's why there is that group of us that's fighting this as hard as we are because it's not going down. So the highest response in this group came from 6 to 10 years of experience. 3400 Is it 85% had experienced critical stress? Okay. 37% had contemplated suicide. And 6.6% had attempted suicide. That's 225 people. 225 people. You know, the CDC in 2012, they estimated 1 million adults had attempted suicide. 3.7 of the general population contemplated suicide. So 3.7% of general pop had attempted suicide. No. 3.7 had contemplated suicide. Excuse me. But as far as EMS goes, 37% contemplated suicide. And, you know, 66, when it came to this, when it came to this study, 66 uh, stated they had not sought help. 66%. And, you know, of that 66%, it was found that 75% of the responders had mental health assistance available through their workplace. But we go back to the number that I said earlier that came out of a different study. That 39% say that they were worried about negative repercussions for seeking mental health help at work. So let's talk about, you know, another side of the stigma that is very clearly showed in this in this survey and in this research that had been completed. 49% of these individuals that responded to the survey, so 49% out of 4,021 stated they did not sense a need regarding seeking help for critical stress. of individuals responding to the survey stated they did not sense a need regarding seeking help for critical stress. 25% didn't want it on their employee record. 23% not wanting to be identified. 
26% concerned about what other people would think. Guys, everybody, everybody needs to read this. These, these are numbers that came from a blind survey where people were able to be honest. And these are the numbers that we're looking at. Let me, let me re-go through those last very, very critical things. 66%. Had not sought help, even though 75% of the respondents had mental health assistance available to them through their workplace. 49% said they didn't sense a need regarding seeking help for critical stress. And here are the astonishing ones. And I get the people, I do, but it's 2021. And, and let's, let's change the status quo. 25% said they didn't want it on their employee record. 23% not wanting to be identified. And 26% concerned about what other people would think. Guys, girls, gals, women, listen to me. If you are concerned about what other people think, you are doing yourself, your community, the fire service, a disservice. And the number one person you should be concerned with is yourself. If you do not seek help for your mental health because you're concerned about what other people would think you are not taking care of yourself. When it comes to mental health, the number one person we need to be concerned with is us. You know, what's that thing that, that we teach these brand new EMT students about their safety? And the, the safety continuum for EMS goes me my partner, my patient, everybody else. So even then, your safety comes before everybody else. So why isn't it the same way when we talk about mental health? Why is your safety not priority? Why are you not making yourself a priority? It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You need help for you. You know, so so what, what comes of this? You know, what can we do? There's some things that we have to remember. You know, uh, let me go over one more time how this group of people This is the reviving responders. That's what this group is called. Critical stress. 
Critical stress defined by this group is the stress we undergo either as a result of a single critical incident that had a significant impact upon you or the accumulation of stress over a period of time. This stress is a strong emotional impact to providers regardless of their years of service. Hmm. All right, so now let's talk about some risk factors, you know, that, that can definitely contribute to mental health and build up on, you know, these, these critical stress incidents. So some of the external stressors and, and guys, listen, this is to look at yourself. You know, we should all be doing self-checks. Every one of us, you got to do a self-check. Make sure that you yourself are, are where you need to be, especially if you're trying to help everybody else. So risk factors, relationship issues, okay, job-related issues, financial stress, death of a loved one, health issues, Okay. And then, I mean, you, then you also always have, you know, the other life events that, that can happen, you know, uh, wildfire, tornado, injury to yourself. Okay. And mental health risk factors for firefighters also then includes post-traumatic stress disorder and critical incident stress. Okay. Mental health issues, depression, loss of hope, loss of self-esteem, physical or sexual abuse, the feeling of being a burden, and intent to die. So, you know, when we go over and, and, and we go through the external stressors that we went through first, relationship issues, job-related issues, financial stress, death of a loved one, what are we then at risk for? PTSD, mental illness, depression, loss of hope, loss of self-esteem, physical or sexual abuse, feeling of being a burden and intent to die. And, you know, then after you compile everything else up, we have to still look at risk factors for suicide and the risk factors for suicide. So, you know, just a few of the big ones are health issues and access to lethal means, alcohol and drug abuse. I, I, these are, these are, are real guys. And, you know, let, let's kind of keep going with some of the statistics while we're going through these 45%, 45% out of a thousand, a thousand firefighter study said that coworkers would see them as weak if they brought up mental health. So, you know, let's go back to this. This starts to to kind of revert on itself, you know, where it talks about, you know, some of the other things that are going on. This could be contributed to low self-esteem. But when you think that your team is going to look down on you because of a mental health problem, where does the problem really lie? And a lot of it is just being uneducated on, on this topic. But 45%. 
say you know that they're worried about being seen as weak from their teammates if they bring up a mental health problem. Another 34% felt that mental health concern if they you know if they brought up mental health concerns that it would cause them to be looked over for a promotion. When mental health problems are addressed inside the workplace, and I know that a lot of people, including myself, you know, did, didn't or don't want to use the employee assistance program because they feel that it's a way for their um, employer to kind of check in on them and, you know, could use it as a, a punitive measure, even though it should never be used as that. But 34% are concerned that it will cause them to be looked over for a promotion if they bring up a concern about mental health. I, I myself, you know, even now, even after spending, you know, quite a few hours sitting down doing the research on, on this topic, because we normally don't generally talk about numbers, but when you want to go into this stuff, and I'm going to tell you now, guys, numbers on this are actually hard to find. It's not as simple as you think it would be. You know, yeah, you you get some, you know, number stats here and there, um, but to actually find some some pretty credible information is hard. And why is that? You know, if you go to any website and you look at cancer studies, you're going to find a ton of information about X, Y, and Z cancers, um, you know, even including firefighter cancer. And let's talk about that for a second. Firefighter cancer is a huge spark in the United States right now. The American Fire Service is all about cancer prevention. But yet, we still have more first responders dying from suicide caused by a mental health problem than we do from actual cancer. But we don't want to put mental health at the forefront of everything because... It makes people look weak. I, uh, I mean, in my mind, by not putting mental health, the number one killer of firefighters and first responders nationally in the very front of everything else makes us look weak. It's not these people going through that. I apologize for my dog. And yet, we still bury this in the sand. And even now, I'm baffled as to why. You know, and then even at that, and it, it, you know, all of these numbers go along with one another. 37%, even in this study, said that they have considered suicide. 37%. You know, and I and I bring up that this is the number one first responder killer because in 2017, 103 firefighters committed suicide and only 93 were line of duty deaths. 103 committed suicide, 93 line of duty deaths. That number is way too many. Both of those numbers are way too many. 103 committed suicide, 
That's 103 too many who committed suicide, 93 line of duty deaths, still too many. That's 196 firefighters that we lost in 2017. That all of those deaths could have been avoided. Unfortunately, you know, I guess that, you know, when we all swear in, when we all take our oath, we understand that a line of duty death is, you know, always something that could happen. You know, we we prepare ourselves in the academy to lay down our lives, you know, when we have to. That, you know, risk a lot to save a lot. And, you know, what what do we have to risk a lot? And that, that's our life. But 93. Okay. But take that 93 out, 103 committed suicide. They, they weren't risking their, you know, that wasn't a death to save somebody else. That was what they saw as their way out for a mental health problem. That if we would make this something that can easily be talked about and openly be talked about. That's 103 first responders that would still be alive today. Hundred and three. So, you know, when we look at this, especially when we look at, you know, the suicide, you know, anyone that is trying to help, that wants to help, we have to watch out for warning signs and changes in behavior. And, you know, so these these are specifically in relation to suicide. Isolation and withdrawal. Aggression. Difficulty sleeping. Changes in mood. Loss of interest in activities. Acting reckless. Anxiety. Overreacting to criticism. Depression. Difficulties at work. Discipline issues. Giving away possessions. Ending significant relationships. Humiliation and irritability. Loss of confidence in abilities and skills. Retirement. Tardiness, absenteeism, and poor work performance. Neglecting appearance. Writing a will or buying insurance. Making funeral arrangements. These are all big indicators that something is going on and we, we all need to be aware of these, you know, we all need to know that these, that these are some of the things that we need to look out for to help each other out. And, and guys, if you see any of these, you you need to bring them up. You just, you can't just let it go. You know, you see a, a 28 year old giving away possessions, you know, a, a loss of interest, being extremely reckless when, you know, previously they haven't been, you know, you got to crack that outer shell on them. You got to get into them. You got to figure out what's going on. We got to help them. 
you know, so there's a lot of red flags that come up that, you know, maybe sometimes we're just tuned out to them. Maybe sometimes we want to just say that we didn't, didn't hear it, didn't see it. You know, we just want to act like it's not happening. And in the world today, we can't anymore, guys. We, we got to be active on this. We have to take action. We have to know, you know, the, the things that are being said or what we're hearing. We have to know what, what's a red flag. And some of those, the, the red flags are in what, are, what is being said by the person that is having a mental health crisis. So if they start talking about being a burden to people or feeling hopeless or that they have no reason to live, they're feeling trapped, uh, that they have a lack of support. If they, you know, really start dwelling on, on, on problems with no apparent solution. And, you know, the most significant suicide indicators can be in the form of a suicide plan. All right. So what are the red flags when it looks, you know, when we, when we want to see if, you know, if there's a plan or if someone is developing a plan, you know, seeing anyone search online ways to commit suicide uh, or collecting tools to big, big red flag. You need, you need to really, uh, you know, find some help for this person. If they start tidying things up uh, or visiting or calling, you know, people to say goodbye at that point, you, you got to get this person help. We, you know, so when those happen, we have, we have to stand up. We have to take action on this. So a lot of people just don't like talking about it. I get it. You know, I think that at one point in my career, I probably didn't like talking about it either. I didn't, I didn't like bringing up mental health to people. And, you know, especially when it comes to suicide, even patients that I, that I had gone on, um, you know, even people that had attempted suicide, it was still very strange for me to to talk to them about it. But when you get when you break into it and you get down to the very basic of things, you have to have empathy. You have to be non-judgmental. And, and I think that the, those are some things that, you know, as we get veteraned in the service and as we get some time under our belt, that you know, we become very calloused. Uh, we become extreme, we become extremely judgmental. Uh, but we have to to remain non-judgmental and we have to keep that empathy. Um, you know, so, so asking someone if they're considering it, um, it's a starting point. It's going to be hard, but if you are starting to see the red flags and the warning signs, you have to ask, uh, you know, the earlier the intervention happens, we give the, the greatest chance for success of stopping what is going on and, you know, breaking into, uh, you know, that crisis and being able to stop it where it's at. And, you know, so as we, as we move on, you know, to these people, once you break, break into that shell and, you know, they start explaining to you, you know, that they are having a mental health problem, you know, listen carefully. You know, um, assess, assess the situation. You have to be very cautious uh, when it gets into this, when, when you're dealing with someone that is having an issue you don't want to overreact, but you don't. You also don't want to underreact to what is going on. So you know, just make sure that you're assessing it um, and taking it at face value. Uh, offer friendship and understanding. It's your brother or sister. 
It's someone that you work alongside. It's someone that is in the same service as you. Be understanding of what they're going through. You've been there. You know, maybe you haven't considered suicide, but you know, you've had the critical instance. You've you've dealt with the critical stress. Um, find alternatives to suicide. You know, so there's there's a lot of things out there, you know, whether it's getting help or there's meetings that they can attend, um, you know, writing stuff down. But but at that point in time, right off the bat, you you have to put an alternative in their head. Um, look at professional assistance, you know, always give them the, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Uh, if you have any local stuff, the EAP system, you have to you have to bring the professionals in on this one. Um, remove the stressful objects. So depending on what's going on, get it, get it away, remove it, uh, any obstacles that are stressful. Uh, so we want at this point in time, when someone has opened up that this is the way that they feel, we want to immediately eliminate any stress that they are going through right at that instant. All those obstacles gone, move them out of the way, take care of them the best that you can. Remember, guys, this is just like support. You know, it's supporting your own family. It really is. I don't even want to say just like this is supporting your family. You do still, though, also need to give them validation. So, you know, that's that's when and the one example that I found, um, you know, in quotes, it says, I know that given the conditions you're against, uh, you know, people may consider suicide, but let, let's work on some alternative options for you. You know, and, and that's like, let's weigh, you know, the, um, you know, very important things versus the not so important things, and, you know, and find out what we need to tackle first. Um, you know, and, and actually start putting putting some pen to paper and, and figuring some stuff out with this person. They have to be removed from the workplace. Um, if they are on shift when they come to you, let's say that you are the lieutenant or you are the captain and it's one of your guys that comes to you, don't don't go out to the people and say why. Uh, you know, bring in a fill in if that's what you need to do, but you can't you can't let them keep working. Uh, this is one thing that that needs to stop. Um and you know, you need to to pull them aside uh and you know, take them out of the stressful situation. And during that time also, you as the officer. Uh, may need to, for that period of time, take yourself out of the situation also and take yourself off shift to with that person. So this isn't going to be something that you just have a quick conversation with them, take them off the job for the day, and then you keep going about your job. Because, um, you know, if you guys are sitting down and talking and the tones go off for a run, you don't just want to leave this person stranded. That's a very bad thing. Um, if necessary, you know, obviously get the authority involved, uh, get them to a hospital, you know, even if you yourself take them, get them to a hospital and, and do whatever is needed. If you feel that their life is in jeopardy. I, you know, we have to change this stigma. We have to change the status quo. What is going on right now in this world in the American fire service is not okay. We have to be able to count on one another. We have to be supportive of one another. Being part of the fire service is not a dog eat dog world. 
It's not a, I need to be better than everybody else. This is a, we are a team on the job and off, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to support you the best way that I can. All of these numbers are too high. All of these numbers are scary. And unfortunately, up to this point, we just meh, brush it off, you know, get back on that ambulance, get back on that engine. We got another call to go to. And that's the culture that we like. And it's not the culture that we can keep having. You know, the fire service, as Alan Brunacini said, has an allergic addiction. They're allergic to change, addicted to tradition. We need to change that, especially when it comes to mental health. We need to be addicted to change, making all the necessary changes that we can, supporting each other the best way possible. And making sure that this 103 that committed suicide in 2017 never happens again. That number should be a zero. Every year. No one should ever come back and say that the stigma that the fire service has on mental health failed me to the point that I attempted or completed suicide. You know, no one should say my department didn't offer me the resource that I needed when I needed it. No one should say that I didn't have any resource available. No one should say that I was worried what other people would think. Nobody. You got to take care of yourself. 100% of the time. You know, so let's get into the resources that get uh, provided by the Code Green campaign. So there is Safe Call Now, which is the 24-7 helpline staffed by first responders for first responders and their family. Safe Call Now is 1-206-459-3020. 1-206-459-3020. The Fire EMS Helpline, uh, also known as Share the Load. It's a program run by the National Volunteer Fire Council. Uh, so they uh, have a helpline, a text-based help service, uh, and also collected a list of many good resources for people looking for help and support. Uh, they are, uh, you know, once again, share the load, fire an EMS helpline, 1-888-731-3473, 1-888-371-3473. As always, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. Uh, you know, there is the text line, the crisis text line. Uh, you know, anytime that you need to, to speak to somebody uh, with a trained crisis counselor, you can start by texting START or HELP to 741741. For you law enforcement out there that are listening, you have the COP line, confidential helpline for members of the U.S. law enforcement, 1-800-267-5463. 
uh, Frontline Helpline, run by Frontline Responder Services, 24-7 coverage uh, with first responder call takers, 1-866-676-7500. 1-866-676-7500. Uh, you have the Kristen Brooks Helpline. It's a uh, national hotline for people suffering from mental health issues, 1-800-442-4673. 1-800-442-4673. Uh, there is the Veterans Crisis Line. This is for veterans only. Um, so specifically for veterans of the U.S. Armed Service, 1-800-273-8255. Uh, then you press 1 or you can text 838255. Uh, if you need any uh, resources that are local for you, uh, for all 50 states, you can go to suicide.org and they list everything. Uh, all of these numbers will be listed in the show uh, the show notes. So anybody that needs them or is wondering what they are uh, or just you know needs to be able to have a reference, just go uh, to the description for this episode and they it will be in the bottom for you guys. Once again, I thank everyone for listening. You know, if you need help, reach out. Reach out to one of these lines if you're in a crisis situation. You can reach out to me at helpfromtheline at gmail.com or on any of our social media pages. That's Instagram at helpfromtheline, Facebook, you know, helpfromtheline. Feel free. Uh, you know, we, we're here to help. Uh, you know, if I can answer a couple of questions for you, if you want to bring up a question that we talk about on the show, feel free send us an email, you know, we get back to you pretty quickly and let, let's, let's keep going with this conversation, you know, send your questions, um, and, and let's talk about it. Thank you for joining in. Have a good night.